0: Chapter 3. Walking with Alberto Everything has been flowing so smoothly since I decided to join you, Alberto enthused, sitting with me in my hostel room. A family gave me their tent and their camping supplies to support our walk. Some books I sold gave me more money than I imagined. Even the trains and the buses to get me here were all on time. Although I still harbored some doubts about having a walking companion, I was happy to see Alberto and to share the sometimes lonely road. Finding my hostel a bit too expensive, Alberto decided to look for accommodations elsewhere that night. We met later at a cafe, but Alberto looked disheartened. Hotels, like everything in Italy, are more expensive than I thought they would be, he confessed. I have enough money for essentials like food, but I can't stay in hostels or eat in restaurants every day." "'So what are you going to do?' I asked. "'Well, since this is a pilgrimage, a spiritual way,' he replied, I was thinking I could sleep in churches and monasteries. I met an old man on the Camino who had no money and who called on the churches for help. They usually gave him food and shelter. I won't ask for food, money, or even a bed, just for a roof over my head. I can sleep on the floor. If they refuse me, I can always sleep in my tent. I don't know, I replied skeptically. I know you're accustomed to sleeping in hostels, he responded earnestly. I don't want to take you away from that. Don't worry about me. I'll find my way. I didn't like asking for help when I didn't need it, but I also couldn't imagine myself in a warm bed knowing that Alberto was sleeping on a cold floor somewhere. If I wanted to walk with Alberto, it was becoming clear that I needed to make some concessions. Go back to your hostel, Alberto urged. I'll find something on my own. Let me help you look, I offered. I'll be fine, he reassured. I'm receiving signs as we speak. I'm going to follow them to see where they lead me. Well, what kinds of signs, I asked. I can't explain them to you easily because they only make sense in my head, he responded, in my way of seeing things and in the connections that they have with past experiences and with my intuition. I trust them just like you trust your signs. What if I pay for your hostel tonight, I insisted. Thank you. But no, he responded firmly, I will find my own way. I reluctantly agreed and watched him walk away. An impatient hour later, Alberto called my room. Where are you, I asked, hearing merriment and laughter in the background. I'm in a Franciscan monastery about five kilometers from you, he replied happily. You sound like you're at a party, I said. Oh no, (laughs) but the monks here are amazing. They love what we're doing. They gave me a room and a hot shower. And they even invited me to dinner with them. They told me that Franciscans usually help pilgrims. Isn't that great? With all their monasteries in Italy, I think my problems are solved. How about you? Are you well tonight? I looked around my simple room, my clothes scattered on the floor, and the loaf of bread and some Parmesan cheese on the table. My dinner. Oh, I'm fine, I responded casually. Are we still meeting in the morning? Of course, he laughed. It's our first day of walking together. I wouldn't miss it. I hung up the phone, wishing I was with him and wondering if I had too hastily dismissed his approach. As I prepared my backpack that evening, my phone rang. A distraught Hannah was on the line. Alberto needs to call home right away, she said. His father has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. They don't expect him to live for very long. I was stunned, unable to comprehend why such a terrible blow would happen on the eve of our walking together. I didn't know how to reach Alberto and spent an anxious night trying to figure out how to break this difficult news the following morning. The next day, I pulled Alberto to a quiet corner of my hostel lobby. Hannah called last night, I said. Your father is very sick. You need to call home right away. Alberto dropped his backpack on the floor, took my phone and strode out the front doors. Through the windows, I saw him pacing up and down, occasionally stopping to look towards the heavens or some invisible point on the ground. His face spoke of the gravity of the situation. When he returned to the lobby, I braced myself for the worst. "'My father has been complaining of stomach pains "'for the last few weeks and losing weight,' he said gravely, sitting beside me. He went in for a checkup and they found the cancer. It's all over his body. They don't know if he has six days or six months to live. I held his hand, telling him how sorry I was. My mother and my brother want me to come home right away, he said, they say they need me. The lobby bustled with activity, while Alberto and I sat insulated in our private bubble of turbulent emotions. Can I look at the map? He finally asked. I handed it to him. After examining it a while, he declared, There's a big town called Terni, about 50 kilometers north of here. We could be there in three days. I agreed it was possible. Alberto examined the map a while longer, then neatly folded it and absently handed it to me. I think I'd like to walk to Terni, he calmly announced, and meditate, on whether to return home. If I decide to leave, there are probably buses and trains that I could take from there. I was surprised by his decision, expecting him to return to his family, but said nothing. It was already late morning and we had a mountainous 15-kilometer day ahead. With backpacks in place, we started out the door. On December the 5th, 2001, 15 days since starting this walk, Alberto and I took our first steps together. We walked at a comfortable pace that Alberto encouraged me to set. Our route wound through the scenic hills and valleys of the Apennine Mountains, their peaks white with snow. Did you know that we're on the trails that St. Francis of Assisi used to walk? Alberto asked, pulling up beside me on a quiet stretch of road. His face lit up when I asked him to tell me more. It was the first spark of light I had seen in him all day. He's my favorite saint, he enthused. He abandoned the comfort of his privileged life to live in simplicity and to follow what he believed to be God's calling. He was a mystic who saw God in everything and who preached that man and all creatures, including the elements, were brothers. He's famous for his song of praise to brother sun and sister moon. "'How do you know so much about him?' I asked. "'When I was younger,' he replied, "'I wanted to be a priest. "'My mother had instilled in me a love, "'not so much for the Catholic Church, "'but for the figures of Mary and Jesus, "'who she taught me were like my best friends and confidants. "'For three years I studied in a seminary in Salamanca, "'700 kilometers away from my home in Cadiz. "'Then... I realized it wasn't for me. I was sixteen, and there were too many rules and restrictions, too many contradictions in what they were teaching me, and of course, no girls. So I left. We continued ever upwards, enjoying spectacular sights and brilliant weather. The terrain was challenging, but I was managing it better with a stick that I had found in a field, We rounded yet another uphill bend and stopped to catch our breaths. I think that's St. Francis, Alberto exclaimed. I looked at where he was pointing. Framed by the bluest sky and the greenest forest, a cluster of white marble statues sat poised atop a large gray rock. In the center, a figure stood with arms outstretched. I followed an exuberant Alberto inside the nearby gate. A monk wearing what I would come to learn as the typical Franciscan attire of open-toed sandal and a brown robe cinched with a rope came out to greet us. He confirmed that the statue was indeed that of St. Francis and that we were in the monastery of La Foresta one of the main sanctuaries in this area where the saint often retreated to pray and meditate. He led us on a tour of the peaceful grounds. The monastery carried a lovely collection of Tao necklaces. I touched the tau pendant I wore beside Alberto's eagle pendant, recalling this hand-carved gift from a friend on the Camino and his words that it symbolized brotherhood and service. This is the cross of St. Francis, the monk explained. He traced it on himself before starting any task. He painted it on the walls and the doors of the places where he stayed, and he used it as his signature. It is the defining symbol of Franciscans. We carve these pendants from the olive trees around us. Alberto examined each towel closely. Knowing all of this makes me feel even closer to St. Francis, he remarked, choosing one towel and gently, almost prayerfully, slipping it around his neck. I feel honored to be wearing his cross, he proclaimed, smiling brilliantly. I returned his smile affectionately, happy to see his enthusiasm return, and silently chuckling at the thought that we were beginning to look alike a fine mist descended near the end of the day, floating ever so lightly and blanketing the valley below. Perched atop one of the peaks was a quaint village that we were told had a Franciscan monastery. After learning so much about St. Francis, I looked forward to staying at his monasteries, places that I imagined to be infused with his special spirit. After one last hard climb, we arrived at the monastery door, tired, hungry, and full of anticipation. A middle-aged monk answered our call and eyed us suspiciously. I tried not to be intimidated. Noi siamo pellegrinos camminato a Jerusalem for la pace, I said, making the sign of the V for peace with my fingers. Necesitamos techo, Alberto added in Spanish, both of us moving our hands back and forth over our heads. We have food and dinero, I continued. Per favore, ayudare? I bristled under his mistrustful scrutiny and fought the urge to turn and find a hostel. Alberto returned the monk's gaze directly, smiling gently. I'm not sure what happened in that silent exchange, but the monk opened the door and asked us to follow him. Through dark, dark stone corridors, down a long flight of stairs, to another dimly lit corridor we raced, finally stopping in a room that was filled with beds and blankets. The monk explained that washrooms and showers were down the hall, and then quickly excused himself. I stood with Alberto in the large, cold room, battling mixed emotions. I was grateful to have shelter, but disappointed, even angry, at the monks' dismissive treatment of us. I noticed with disgust the mouse droppings that littered the floor and the beds and pointed them out to Alberto. The tourist demands, he reminded me, quoting a common Camino axiom, and the pilgrim gives thanks. I shot him an impatient glance, grabbed my towel and change of clothing, and headed to the washroom, grateful to find it clean. Over the course of our 5,000-kilometer journey, I would come to appreciate the luxury of that night. I showered quickly and came out, anticipating the same dinner invitation that Alberto had received in his monastery experience. I checked my bed carefully for any unwanted rodent gifts and once satisfied that there were none, sat and typed in my diary. Alberto similarly showered and returned to write in his diary. An hour later, it was clear that no invitation to dinner was forthcoming. I pulled out my chocolate bar and almonds and laid them on my bed. Alberto added his bread and cheese. We ate our pilgrim meal in silence as I tried to swallow my disappointment. Have I made a mistake following Alberto's path, I wondered.